We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Good evening. We are finishing out Ezra tonight, looking at Ezra 10. Um, But before we get started, just kind of remind us of where we are in the story, what we're looking at, where we're headed. Um, If you remember, Ezra and Nehemiah compose three returns. You have uh, Ezra's one, uh, chapters one through six, all about the first return, the rebuilding of the temple, the return, the restore, the rebuild. So you have that kind of cycle go through. And then the last several weeks, that's month and a half, two months, we've been looking at this second cycle in Ezra seven through 10, this second group that comes, the second group that comes to return, restore, and rebuild. And so we started with chapter seven of Ezra, looking at the king of Persia and his support of the people to return to Israel. And he gives a edict that supports their efforts, gives them um, supplies, gives them gold and silver for the temple, uh, sends Ezra back. We get introduced to Ezra as a character and his goal of teaching the law in the land to help restore the worship of the true God now that the temple has been rebuilt. And then we saw in chapter eight, the journey, Ezra gets together people that will go back with him to help him restore the worship of the true God. Uh, they had that journey all the way unprotected back to Israel. We saw God protect them and bring them back and kind of ended Ezra 7 on a high. And then last week we saw, I see Ezra 8 as on a high. And then Ezra 9, we saw last week where kind of the bottom falls out, where as soon as he gets there, a problem arises. As soon as he gets there, he finds out that the people have not been faithful, that rather than worshiping God, they've intermixed with other peoples. They've um, mixed their religion with the neighboring religions. They have no longer followed the true God. They've um, kind of acculturized, syncretized their religion. And so Ezra has to deal with that. And we saw the long prayer in Ezra 9 of, of Ezra praying for the people and admitting that they have, they have messed up. They have failed and they need God's mercy. So that brings us to Ezra 10. What's, what are they going to do? All right. So last week we kind of left on kind of a cliffhanger with Ezra praying to God that we are guilty. We are in need of your mercy. And so now we're going to look at 10, the resolution. What is going to happen? How are the people going to react? Are they going to continue in their sin? If you think about Israel's history, you know, they're constantly messing up in cycles, right? Is that going to be the case here? Are they going to repent? Uh, What is going to happen? So uh, let's start with verse 1 of Ezra 10. Uh, Now, when Ezra was praying and making confession, weeping and prostrating himself before the house of God, a very large assembly, men, women, and children, gathered to him from Israel, for the people wept bitterly. So we have the setting here. Okay, so the first verse gives us the setting. Um, Ezra is still finishing praying. He's still continuing to pray uh, for the people. And there's these uh, two... Um, verbs, the two sets of verbs that they use for what Ezra is doing. He's praying and making confession, like praying to God, praising him, reminding God of who he is, praising God for his mercy, and confessing the people have messed up, all right? And then you have another two sets of verbs, weeping and prostrating. 
Uh, I think we talked last time about Ezra and his approach to God. He's always humble. And we see that again here, that he is weeping because he is broken by the sin of the people. He is putting, prostrating himself before God. Um, they have nothing they can stand on, right? Nothing they have done is good. They are completely at his mercy. And so Ezra is embodying that in his prayer. And it seems that the people kind of catch on. Um, we see a large group of people come, uh, men, women, and children gather to him when they hear about, when they're confronted with the sin, people approach him, and they too begin to weep bitterly. They see the example of Ezra. They are confronted with their sin and they start to imitate him, okay? Isn't that a good discipleship verse uh, kind of idea that people are always watching? How you respond to God or, or how do you, what other people do you need to look to to respond? And so we see a big assembly collect and everyone's looking, now what do we do? Now what do we do? We realize the sin, we know we are guilty, we're dependent on God and his mercy. Now what? Okay. Uh, so the next point, a man in his plan. Okay. A man in his plan. Uh, we see a character we've already seen before, but he's going to offer a plan to Ezra. Shechaniah, if you remember, was one of the Levites that joined with Ezra on that second trip. He was a man full of wisdom um, now he is going to speak and offer a solution. Shechaniah, we have been unfaithful, verse two, to our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. Yet now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. So a couple things here. First off, he just arrived. Is he one of the ones that's actually sinned? Probably not. Right? We're talking about the people that have been in the land that have slowly uh, mixed with the cultures around them. He realizes, though, that the people as a whole are guilty. We are all in this, right? And yet again, just like Ezra could have said, man, these people are stupid. Like, why did you stick me with them? Uh, Shechaniah doesn't do that either. He said, we have sinned. There is guilt on the people, Let's, how do we do this? And notice also he, he, just like Ezra recognized, there is hope. What hope is there? Is it in the ability of the people to change themselves? Is it in the good works of the people? Is it in anything that they can do, any talents, any abilities? No. What is the hope that he has that Shechem and I is going to point to? God, all right? Yeah, we are completely guilty. We have been unfaithful. Notice the sin that he points out. He mentions the marriage is second. But what's the real problem? We have been unfaithful. The marriages are an outward sign of that. But the real issue is they haven't been faithful, right? And so he recognized that. He points that out. What's the real issue? We need to turn our hearts to God. But there is hope. Why? God. And that's true of all of us, right? No matter what you've done, no matter what external sin it may be, it's the heart that's the problem, but there's hope because of God, right? Verse three, so let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and to those who tremble at the command of our God and let it be done according to the law. 
Verse four, arise for this matter is your responsibility, but we will be with you, be courageous and act. So uh, Shechaniah's plan, renew the covenant with God and put away the wives and children. So yet again, what is the real issue? Is it the marriages? That is an issue, but that's not the main issue. What's the main issue? Unfaithfulness to God. That covenant relationship with God has been broken. So what do we need to do first? Get back right with God. Then we address that external thing, right? We need to renew the covenant with God and then put away the wives and children. Now that doesn't mean like throw them out into the desert and hope for the best, okay? They, they'll make, we assume they make provision for them. He's not saying that. Um, but we need to deal with the external, but we need to deal with the heart first. Renew that covenant. Um, According to the counsel of my Lord and to those who tremble at the commandment. Yet again, what's the conviction coming from? The commandment of our God. The word is what brings conviction. God's commandments is what Shechaniah is pointing to. This is what we should be paying attention to. This is what we need to renew. This is why Ezra's there, right? To teach them the law and the covenant. So um, let it be done according to the law. And then in verse four, we see the challenge to Ezra from Shechaniah. First off, arise. It's time to act. We've prayed, we've confessed. Now we need to do something. So he challenges Ezra, arise. This matter is your responsibility. Ezra, you are the leader of the people. You are the one that needs to lead us out of this, but we will be with you. All right. Don't you love a number two like this? A guy that helps shape you, challenge you, but is gonna be there behind you all the way. And so here Ezra has a good guy behind him helping him out. Listen, we need to act. We need to restore the covenant and then put away the marriages, all right? And then be courageous and act, all right? Let's do it. Arise, be courageous and act. And those are gonna be kind of the structure you see with the rest of the narrative, uh, that Ezra will arise, he will be courageous and confront the people, and then they will act, all right? So that's, that's kind of the structure that you see for the rest of Ezra 10. And he uses these words uh, on purpose. He is using these because they echo earlier uh, scripture. Um, arise, I mean, you see that all in different places, but Joshua 1, when they're entering into the promised land after, you know, the Exodus, you see in verse two of Joshua 1, 1, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, talking to Joshua, arise you and the people into the land. And then later in verse six, be strong and courageous, just like the words of Shechaniah. Verse seven, only be strong and courageous. Be careful to do everything according to the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded you. So y'all hear the echoes? that Shechaniah is giving here uh, to Ezra. Remember, you were gonna teach us the law and he kind of points him back to the law, all right? Just like God challenged Joshua to arise and be courageous to take over the land. Ezra, now it's your turn. Let's arise, be courageous and act. And these exact words, be courageous and act, is also found in 1 Chronicles. When David is talking to Solomon, 
and entrusting him with the building of the temple, the restoration, you know, the building of the temple for the, for the worship of God. He says, God has chosen you, Solomon, to build a house for the sanctuary. Be courageous and act. So Shechaniah has all that in his mindset. We need to arise, be courageous and act to restore the people to the land and restore the true worship of God. And it's echoed not only in the building of the temple, but also in the first uh, Joshua going into the promised land, okay? So number two, Shechaniah stood up. He's, he's given his plan. It's a nice plan. He's challenged Ezra. And what is Ezra gonna do? Well, Verse five, then Ezra rose, all right? Almost immediately, Ezra rose and made the leading priests, the Levites and all Israel take oath they would do according to this proposal. So they took the oath. So Ezra immediately arise, right? He jumps into action just like Shechaniah asked him to, knowing he has the support of Shechaniah, the leaders, the people, and now we're going to be courageous and act. And notice here in verse five, you have everybody, the leading priests, the Levites, and all of Israel. So everyone is partaking. Everyone's participating. Everyone agrees to his plan. So how are we gonna act it? How are we gonna do this? How are we gonna put Shechaniah's plan into action? Um, verse six, then Ezra rose, yet again, rose, from the house of God and went to the temple of Jehohanan, the son of Eliashib, who was probably the high priest mentioned in Nehemiah. Um, although he went there, he did not eat bread nor drink water, for he was mourning over the unfaithfulness of the exiles. Verse 7 of Ezra 10, they made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem and that whoever would not come within three days, according to the counsel of the leaders and the elders, all his possessions should be forfeited and he himself excluded from the assembly of the exiles. So now Ezra's arose and he's challenging all the people to arise. Come, we got to deal with this. We have to address this issue. And notice, how much time do they get? Three days, all right? This is important. This is needed. It needs to be addressed now before any more issues pop up. Um, and notice, what is Ezra doing while all the people are assembling, while they're gathering everybody? Well, he is fasting, he is mourning, and he is praying. That's good leadership right there, right? Um, I've, I've issued the call. I'm waiting for the people to, to um, show up in Jerusalem. What can I do? I can pray, right? Just, nope, not just sitting around. Let's pray. Let's fast. Let's think about this. Uh, and, and notice the seriousness of this call. If you don't come, you are exiled from the assembly. Now, that seems harsh, but God has called them to be a holy people, right? Can you have people that are compromising? Can you have people that aren't following God? All right, you need everyone following the true God. And so they make this rule, we need you to be here or else you forfeit your possessions, you are kicked out of the assembly, okay? So that's the arise. 
First Ezra arises, then he challenges the people to come and arise. Uh, then be courageous. So all the people assemble, which should be quite intimidating. That's a lot of people to try to address. And remember, how long has Ezra been there? Not very long at all. A couple months, right? So he's a new leader, newly put into power, trying to address and challenge all of these people that have been in the land for all this time. So is he going to stand up? Is he going to be courageous? Well, let's see. Verse 9. So all the men of Judah and Benjamin are assembled at Jerusalem within the three days. It was the ninth month on the 20th of the month, and all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of the matter and the heavy rain. And so I love that imagery that they show up where before the house of God. When you sin, where do you need to go? Before God, right? And so they had, this is this beautiful picture of what it means to confess and repent by standing. Um, everyone shows up here uh, in front of the square, in front of the temple, and they are trembling. Why? Well, two reasons. One spiritual, one physical. They're trembling because of the matter. They know they've sinned. They are guilty. They are doomed, except for the mercy of God. And it's cold and rainy. I don't know what that's like. I've lived in Texas all summer. I think it rains still. But these guys are willing to sacrifice their comfort in order to stand before God and admit their sin. We are guilty. Verse 10, then Ezra the priest stood up. Y'all notice the repetition here. Arise, stand up, arise, stood up. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, you have been unfaithful and have married foreign wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now, therefore, make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do his will and separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. So here we, got, we have the challenge. Be courageous. Challenge them. Ezra challenges the people. And notice he said, adding to the guilt. Has Israel been guilty in the past in their history? That is their history, right? The constant failing to follow God properly, the constant sin, uh, even a man after God's own heart like David, right? We see sin in his life. And so Ezra said, you've added to the guilt of our nation yet again, all right? You've <laughs> kept the pattern going and we need to break the cycle. Therefore, confess, all right? Confess and separate yourselves. Be holy as he is holy, all right? And so you have this, this idea yet again, it's, uh, out of Leviticus 11:44, Leviticus 19:1 through 2, the Lord said to Moses, "Speak to the congregation and say to them, "You shall be holy, for I am the Lord your God am holy. You don't mix with the cultures, the religions of the people around you. Follow me. Right? Be holy. Uh, Leviticus 20: Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. And you shall keep my statutes and practice them, for I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And that's a, a beautiful picture of what it means to be holy. What is it to mean to be holy? To follow God and to be sanctified by him. Are these people following God in this moment? They're starting to, but they have failed miserably, right? They need to confess and return. Be holy as God is holy, all right? So the challenge goes out. Ezra speaks to them, issues this challenge, what will the people do? 
Um, so I'll label this act. What will the people do? Um, verse 12, then all the assembly replied in a loud voice, that's right. As you have said, so is our duty to do so. Do they try to defend their actions? Do they try to say, well, yeah, but, you know, how many times do we do that? You know, try to justify our sin or our actions. Um, well, you don't know the whole story. No, they know they're guilty, right? And they're willing to say it. You're right. And as you've said, so is our duty. We need to change. We need to listen to the plan. We need to change our actions. But they do challenge Ezra in verse 13. Not a big challenge, not like saying you're wrong, but just trying to give him a, a twist to the plan. Verse 13, but there are many people. Okay, these are the people speaking to Ezra. It is the rainy season. We are not able to stand out in the open, nor can the task be done in one or two days. For we have transgressed greatly in this manner. I love the confession here. Like, nah, it wasn't a, an oopsie, right? It's not a, a small little thing we have done. We have transgressed greatly. So verse 14, let our leaders represent the whole assembly and let all those in our cities who have married foreign wives come at appointed times together with the elders and judges of each city until the fierce anger of our Lord on this account is turned away from us. All right. Ezra, we agree completely with this but we're gonna need some time to investigate everything. We need some time for people to repent, confess. We need time for the investigation. Why? Well, some of the foreign wives might've been serving God, right? The Old Testament allows that. You know, the story of Ruth, who converted, says, your God will be my God. So when she goes with Naomi back to Israel. So we need to investigate is this a situation where a foreign wife has converted and therefore is a part of the people of God? Or is this a mixed marriage? Is this no longer following God? So we need time to do that, Ezra. We need time uh, standing out here in the rain until we go through every situation. It's not going to work. We need to address this in a proper way. And when do we stop? Until the fierce anger of our God on this account is turned away from us. We, we don't take out a few people, address a few issues. No, we're going to take the time to do it right and do it fully. You don't stop halfway, right? You don't put an arbitrary time limit on it. We need to make sure that this is totally and completely taken care of. We need this issue addressed properly and completely, okay? A um, couple other things that I, I like about this. First off, Ezra, great leadership characteristic he shows here. He's willing to listen when there's a better plan. He listens to Shechaniah. Now he's listening to the people. And he's willing to delegate, right? He's gonna pick men to help him. So just like he helped, he got men to pick, he picked men to help him get Levites and recruit them for the journey. Um, here he's gonna do that as well. Let's divide and conquer. Let's divide out uh, the problem so that we can address this fully and completely, okay? Um, all right, so we see some action here. They've got a plan now. They've taken Shechaniah's plan. They've, they've filled it out on the how to get the confession, how to do the investigations, all of those different things. And then when you know it, there's opposition. 
Is that another trend we see in the book of Ezra? How many times do the people of God start making some headway and then run into problems? All right, we see it all the time in Ezra and Nehemiah and in our own lives, right? You, you, you feel like you, you finally made some, some effort, you're move, moving towards sanctification, you're learning a lot from your Bible, and then boom, something happens, right? So we see this again here, and this will be repeated also in Nehemiah. Opposition, verse 15, only Jonathan, the son of Ashiel, and Jeziah, the son of Tikvah, opposed this with uh, Meshla, et cetera, so forth. Okay, I'm not gonna read all the names. <clears throat> so four guys stand up and say, hey, hold up, we don't like this idea. Now, if you notice, it doesn't say what they don't like. So I don't know what exactly they were opposing. The, the natural reading would be they didn't like the idea of getting rid of the wives. Why would we do this? Um, who are you to tell us what to do? It could also be that these guys are on the other extreme. Like, no, let's just do it quick and get it over with. We don't know. But the writer of Ezra, Ezra, wants you to know that opposition did happen. Will opposition happen when you're trying to follow God? Yes. Okay. So are you going to be courageous and act? Or are you going to bend to whatever these guys are critiquing? No, right? You need to continue. Do what God has called us to do. And so it just mentions this in passing. And then in verse 16, but the exiles did so. <laughs> I love that they deal with the opposition in less than a verse. Okay, so we had these four guys that opposed us, but we ignored them, okay? Because what's important? God, following God with all of our heart, right? Um, but the exiles did so. The entire people enact this plan. And so Ezra selected men who were heads of the father's households for each of their father's households, all of them by name, so that they convened on the first day of the 10th month to investigate the matter. And they finished <clears throat> investigating all the men who had married foreign wives by the first day of the first month. So yet again, this is good leadership 101. You delegate to faithful men, all right, uh, faithful leaders to help with this project. And the work takes about three months. So they take three months to investigate, to have everyone come to the elders, present their case, and then make a decision. Okay, is this true conversion? Is this not? Is this the husband not being faithful, the wife not being faithful, whatever the case? Uh, we need to investigate completely the whole situation. And it takes three months. Um, and then you have the, the, the end of the story, okay? It's so really, it almost seems like this is kind of a tag on the end because the important part's already happened. They've repented and now they're acting, all right? They gotta be, uh, complete the action. Um, so starting in verse 18 and through the rest, you have this long list of people who were found to be in these mixed marriages. Um, and this list is kind of interesting. You have first the high priests. Oops. <clears throat> the high priestly family. There's a couple examples of that. Why might that be a problem? These are the men that are supposed to instruct us, right? These are the men that are supposed to teach us. <clears throat> These are the men that are supposed to be the examples. And yet here you have guys in the high priestly families that have uh, married foreign wives. <clears throat> And he takes, Ezra takes special effort to point out that they put away their wives 
uh, verse 19. <coughs> and being guilty, they offered a ram for the flock for their offense. They're called to a higher standard, right? <clears throat> they are the priests. They are the ones that are supposed to know the law, supposed to be the ones we follow, supposed to be the ones that teach, and they haven't done it. <clears throat> and so they have to make a, a special offering. Then in verse 20 through 22, you have other priests. So this isn't the high priestly family, but the other priestly family is a long list of them. <clears throat> and then in verse 25 on to the end, you have the list of the people of Israel. Now, this is a partial list, probably. Uh, this could be just the guys that repented. It might've been that some were kicked out of Israel because of this. It could be just the ones Ezra recorded, we don't know. <clears throat> but he wants you to know that the people followed through, right? Shechaniah, arise, be courageous and act. Well, we've done that. We have taken the hard step to get rid of the foreign wives, that external issue and addressing the heart issue, reestablishing the covenant with God and now addressing that. Oh, thank you so much. You are my hero. <clears throat> okay, so everybody with me so far? I kind of understand the story. It's kind of a weird way to end the book, but Ezra wants you to know that all of this is about the proper following of God. And if something takes you away from that, you've got to address it, right? You can't let it keep going. You can't just put it under the rug and say, forget about it. You have to address it, even if it's, it takes a while and even if it's hard and painful, you've got to address it. So some, some final thoughts, some application. Um, lots of different things we can do here. Some things we did as we went. Um, but a couple, couple things that stuck out to me that I want <clears throat> to share with you guys that uh, I, th I think is kind of interesting about this story. And first, the story of the second return, um, a big theme of it is prayer, Right? A big theme of it is prayer. In Ezra 7, 27 through 28, Ezra prays to God, thanking him for the king's edict. <clears throat> In Ezra 8, 21 and 23, Ezra prays for the journey, for the people, right? He fasts and prays. Ezra 9, 5 through 15, Ezra prays for the people and their sin, that long prayer of confession and prayer for mercy. Ezra 10, 1, Ezra is praying when the people approach him. Ezra 10, 6, he fasts and mourns and prays for the unfaithfulness of the exiles. That's a lot of prayer in four chapters. We need to do that, don't we? Is your life patterned by prayer? Normally when we go to Ezra, we look for like leadership principles. What is he doing? Praying, okay, praying constantly in every chapter. What does your prayer life look like? What does my prayer life look like? How do we address these issues? Uh, second, on, the, on that working with the body, the leadership principles, Ezra needs a team, right? We saw that in the journey. We see that here. He delegates, he takes advice from people. He listens to people. All of us have a role, right? In shaping one another, challenging one another, Shechaniah was needed to, to give Ezra a plan. The people help shape that plan a little further. Everyone has a role. Everyone has a job. Everyone listens to one another as we try to follow God together. And I love the leadership principle here that, that to delegate and to listen. 
that Ezra is not heavy-handed. He's not jumping in, uh, controlling everything, but he is willing to listen to wise counsel when God sends it his way, right? How can we challenge one another? How can we help one another? Um, who is your Shechaniah? Who's challenging you and helping give you plans of action and giving you wise counsel? Um, lots of things you can take from that. Another thing, sin must be confronted. You can't let it fester. Ezra is brand new to the leadership position when he comes back. He's only there a couple months. I think a lot of leadership principals would tell you, okay, address that eventually, right? You're new, you need to get you know, responsibility, you need to get trust, all that kind of stuff. But can you let sin continue? No, it needs to be addressed. In your own life, when you see it in others, if you're doing it humbly like Ezra does, you can't let it just sit there. All right, it must be addressed because we're to be holy as God is to be holy. And that goes to the next point. Sin needs to be confessed and repented. Don't just sweep it under the rug, all right? The people could have told Ezra, who are you, new guy, right? We've been the ones rebuilding the temple, been here. We came back earlier than you. We've been faithful all this time. Or they could have given an excuse. Well, we, there weren't enough uh, you know, women to go around, so we had to get married. They could have come up with something, but you can't do that. You must repent, you must confess, you must change. <clears throat> and so we see the people do that when sin is addressed in their lives, when it's faced, okay? And all that flows out of the last point, the people of God are to be holy as God is holy. Where have you compromised your faith? What are some areas you need to address? Um, what are some areas you need to do better in? Okay, and who are some people I can get around me to help move me that direction, to shape me, to this iron sharpens iron, right? The, the one another's admonishing one another, loving one another, encouraging one another, challenging. Um, have you mixed your faith with something else like these people and what needs to be changed and shaped? We have a duty to work together as the body of Christ to help one another move towards Christ's likeness. How are you gonna do that in this next week? So I just want to end, you, end this sermon with Shechaniah's words, right? Arise, be courageous and act. Whatever that is in your life, arise, be courageous and act. It is worth it in following God. So let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for um, the example of Ezra, the example of the repentance of the people, the example of Shechaniah. What a beautiful story of repentance, confession, and then refocusing on you, Lord. I pray that uh, as we move forward, as we go through our lives, that we're constantly, constantly examining our lives to see what areas um, we might need to confess, repent, and address, Lord. I just thank you for everyone who's here tonight, their faithfulness to you, Lord, and just pray that you are with them as they go out and as they are lights in the community. And as they go out to share uh, just the beauty of the gospel, Lord, just thank you for tonight and be with us for this next week in your name. Amen.